There is nothing better than when Jesus shows up. You know, I think that's the joy of Palm Sunday. That's the beauty of what we're experiencing. It's why some of us, um, this, is, this is an important service for us to come to. We might not necessarily be church people. We might not necessarily be religious people. But on Palm Sunday, on Easter, there's something about it. Maybe we wouldn't say it exactly that way, but there is something about when Jesus shows up. I'm so grateful to see you here this Palm Sunday. We are in a, a series called Famous Last Words. I want to describe a little bit to you, but before I do, I would love to pray with you um, as we get into God's Word. So would you just pray with me? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful. We're grateful that you're here. And Father, there are people here from every walk of life. There are those who are affluent, who are on top of the world, and there are those who have lost everything. So meet us at the point of our need, O oh God. Speak to that wife who says, I can't do this for another day. Remind her of your love and of your presence. Speak to those parents, O oh God, who are beside themselves with grief over their children. Remind them of your presence and of your love. Speak, O oh God, to those here struggling with ailments, that doctors say are, no, are not curable. Remind them of your presence and of your love. And so, Lord, I pray that during this time together as we reflect on all that Christ has done for us during this Lent season, I pray, O oh God, that we would see you and savor you, that we would long for you, that our hearts would be turned towards Jesus, that even now we would hear his soft, sandaled feet walking up and down these aisles, meeting each one of us in personal and powerful ways. Holy Ghost, have your way in our lives, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So it's a series called Famous Last Words. We said last week that what makes Famous Last Words so powerful is because last words seem to sum up in a nutshell and powerfully the lives and the philosophies of great people, or at least people that we think are important. And secondly, they can also, last words can, they can give us direction for our lives. Last week, we took a look at some famous last words, and some of them were tragic, and some of them were funny, and some of them, uh, and some of them were profound. This week, we're going to look at another of Jesus' famous last words. But what's interesting is that mostly, Famous last words, they're usually statements. They're usually declarations. 
Interestingly enough, one of, and what we're doing throughout this series is we're looking at Jesus' seven last words from the cross. And so as we're reflecting on them, we're seeing if they can give us direction for our lives and if they could sum up the life, life of Jesus and what he came to do. This week, we're looking at this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's one of the most disturbing verses in all of the Bible, and it brings up a lot of questions. But what's interesting is that this here is a question of its own. This is not a declaration. This is not a statement. This is not a summary of what God has believed or what Christ has done. This is a question, a question that is from God the Son to God the Father. It's really, really disturbing, but I think that we'll understand better who Jesus is, and I think that we will be able to see the gospel in a powerful and new light. Now, it is Palm Sunday, and if you're here for the first time, you're expecting us to teach a lesson about Palm Sunday, Jesus uh, triumphantly walking in to the town, everybody yelling Hosanna, and you know, celebrating that Jesus comes in. We're not going to do that today. We're going to look a little bit, we're going to fast forward a little bit more. Jesus did, in fact, walk into town and everybody celebrated him. Here is the one that we've been waiting for. And they think Jesus is showing up and he's going to do great things and he's going to do exactly what we expect him to do. He's going to be like a general king. He's going to come against the Roman army. He's going to liberate the Jews and we are going to be powerful again. And yet, and yet Jesus doesn't behave the way we want him to sometimes. Sometimes Jesus doesn't do what we wish he would do. Jesus would, in fact, con conquer, and he would come against powers, but they wouldn't be the kind that they were expecting. So Jesus is beaten and crucified, and this is one of the words that he has for us. It's found in Matthew chapter 27, verses 45, and we're going to read all the way up to 49, although the natural thought, flow of thought is all the way to 56. You can read that um, at home. We're only going to read up to 49. Now, this is also found in another gospel, and, but we're going to focus on this, uh, this gospel right here. Now, if you're new, one of the traditions that we have in our church is to stand at the reading of God's Word. Let me tell you why we stand at the reading of God's Word. Because we really believe that God's Word is wonderful. We believe that God's Word is powerful. And so what we want to do is we want to remind our bodies that God is awesome. And so we're going to, so we stand in reverence, in respect. You know, if the President of the United States walks in a room, first thing that people do is they stand. Because even if they don't like the President, they respect the office. And so uh, it, we stand, because even if you don't like God, he's pretty awesome. And, and so, and if, you, and if you're here and you're new and you don't like God, or if you're here and you're old and you don't like God, I'm with you. I've been on both sides of that street, 
and, um, and we're just grateful to have you here. So we're going to read God's Word together. Um, you can read it with me. Uh, on the count of three, we'll all read it together. Uh, one, two, three. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. This is God's word. Please have a seat. So Jesus is being, Jesus has been beaten. He's been abused. He's been taken advantage of. He finds himself on the cross And as he sits there, Matthew, the gospel writers, listen to me, the gospel writers are not just reporters. They're teachers. So they're not just trying to tell us what happened. They're trying to make connections with us so we could learn a little bit more about life, a little bit more about God, a little bit more about our relationship with God. They're not just reporters. They're teachers. So when they report the things that they report, there's reason behind them. And so we see in verse 45 what we talked about last week. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole, all the land. There was an inexplicable, like noon in the afternoon, I don't know if you know this, but the sun's out. And so there's not a whole lot of darkness. And yet, Something happened that made it dark. Now, this could have a supernatural um, reason behind it, or it could have a natural reason behind it. It could have been sandstorm. could have been a lot of clouds uh, getting together and blocking out a lot of the sun. It could, have been, it could not have been a, uh, an eclipse, because we know that the Passover happens um, at a full moon, and you can't have an eclipse at a full moon. But whatever the reason, there was darkness over the land. They didn't report that. Matthew didn't. Luke didn't. The other uh, disciples, they didn't report that because they were trying to just give you a little caveat of information. They're trying to let you know something is changed. Something is happening. Something has shifted. Darkness comes over the land. About three in the afternoon, towards the end of that darkness, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. Here, it literally says, Jesus yelled. Jesus screamed. I don't know if you've ever been in a a room with someone who's dying, but if they scream, it is a shocking and jarring thing. Jesus screamed. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. 
Now, interestingly enough, in Mark, uh, Mark writes this differently. And you go, you see, the Gospels, they don't, they don't harmonize. There's contradictions. Mark, interestingly enough, though, and, and by the way, just so you know, I really do believe the Scriptures, and I have a very high view of the Scriptures. So when I see stuff like this, I try to find out, well, what's the reason behind it? Why do they write two different things? And it's a very simple answer. Matthew is writing to Jewish people. So he translated Jesus' words into Hebrew. This is Hebrew. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. When Mark translates it, he translates it in Aramaic. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. It's slightly different, but they're speaking to two different audiences. Same words, they mean the same thing. And here's what they mean. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They're some of the most disturbing words in all of Scripture, because how can you explain them? As Christians, and if you're not a Christian, we're grateful that you're here, but as Christians, so you can know what we believe, we really believe that Jesus is God. He's not an angel. Jesus is not a prophet, or not just a prophet. He's, he's God. And he says something at the top of his voice, he screams, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Why would he say such things? What's interesting to note about what he says is that Jesus is not just answering, asking a question He's quoting a scripture. He's quoting a scripture. It's Psalm 22. I'd like to read it to you as you sit here. Um, it's Psalm 22, verse 1. What does it say? Let's everybody read it together. My God, my God, why have you forsaken? Jesus the scholars believe Jesus, and honestly, this just hit me this morning, and so if I'm a little weepy, which I can't stand crying because I'm Puerto Rican, and that's what we do. Um, it just hit me today. Jesus is on the cross. It's so painful. Our, you know where we get our English word excruciating? We get it from the cross. It's excruciating. The pain is beyond what anyone can bear. And Jesus is on the cross, and what he's doing is he's reciting Psalm 22 to himself. By the way, not a bad idea when you're going through pain to just be reminded of God's words. And Jesus says this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? He's just going this, he's saying this over and over and over the entire psalm in his mind, over and over and over. And, and after repeating it over and over, he goes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then the rest of the psalm goes like this. He didn't say this, but this is the rest of the psalm so you can understand where he's coming from. Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? Let's pause for a second. 
I love the Bible. I love the Bible. But when I didn't love the Bible, you know what one of my arguments was against the Bible? I was like, you know what? This is baloney. This is not true. You know what happened? A bunch of guys got together in a room. They, they invented this religion so that they can control people, get some, uh, get some prosperity, some finances, and also influence large groups of people. You've heard of people doing that before. They invent a religion, they make money from it, and they control, they have influence with a, lar a large group of people, power. And so I used to say, you know, the Bible's just full of it. There's no real reason to believe the Bible. There's no real reason to take the New Testament scriptures, maybe some of your professors. Hey, this is, you know what? Why would you base your life off of an ancient document that's 2,000 years old uh, from primitive people who have nothing to say about modern thought, who are not nearly as advanced? Let me tell you, why this verse helps me to believe the Bible. Because if I was inventing a religion, and I was inventing the hero of that religion, this would not be one of his last words. His last words would might be like Braveheart. Freedom! <laughs> if I was inventing something, it would be inspiring. His last words might be like Nathan Hale. My only regret is that I have but one life to give for my country. That is inspiring. That motivates. If you're going to do a movement, do it right. Like, inspire people. Let people go. And yet, this is not true. You know why anybody would even think to put this down? Because it actually happened. Because it's what took place. My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? You know, if you ever feel like God is far from you, God knows what you feel like. He doesn't just like know what you feel like. He knows what you feel like. It's not just an intellectual knowing, it's an emotional knowing. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one of Israel praises. In, our in you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and we're not put to shame. Imagine Jesus just reciting this over and over. And you're seeing the, see, you just saw the first sentence. There's more. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me, see if this sounds familiar to you. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord. Does this sound familiar at all? Let the Lord. This was written a thousand years before Christ was born. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him, mocking him. 
Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands. Sound familiar? And my feet. All of my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the thorns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. And all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship, and all who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, Let's all say this last four words together. He has done it. Jesus repeating this over and over and over in his mind, reminding himself, because in the midst of the suffering, it's easy to forget, no? In the midst of difficulty. But back to Jesus. So we see that the psalm, the psalmist who's writing this, is writing this about their experience, but they don't understand that they're writing this about someone else's experience too. And Jesus, reciting it over and over and over again, there's a change, there's a, a, a display. The lights go out. And it becomes dark. 
And Jesus says, My God! My God! Let's just pause right there. See, this is the moment. This is the joy of that Saturday night fornicating. This is the moment of losing your temper against your wife. This is the moment of what what it means to take the three dollars that weren't yours. The penalty of sin is death. And the lights go out. This is what it means when we go and we do our pet sin that we think no one knows about. This is the consequence. This is the consequence of the sins that we commit. The lights go out. Darkness covers. This is the sin of our lies and deceit. This is all of our sin, my sin and yours, past, present, and future, laid upon one person, and the lights go out. It's dark because sin is dark. It's dark because God will not be present. It's dark because hell is dark. It's dark because pain is dark. It's dark because Jesus is paying for the sins of the world, which I'm not sure if you know this, but it means my sins and yours. The sins of the person sitting on your seat. The lights go out and he screams, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? Notice he doesn't yell, my feet, my feet, which you could totally understand because there's a nail driving through them. Or my hands, my hands, which you totally get. Or my back, my back, because the skin has been filleted off of it. He doesn't scream, my friends, my friends, because there's a pain to betrayal. And all of his friends who said that they would be there for him, not one of them was. He doesn't yell any of these. It gets dark. And he says, my God, my God. These are the most unique words in the history of the world. Jesus is experiencing an eternity of hell on the cross. Now you go, how can he experience an eternity of hell? The problem is is that you and I think linearly. We think of time as yesterday, that's in the past. Today, that's in the present. Tomorrow, that's in the future. We think linearly. There's a line. But what you don't understand is that heaven and hell have no clocks. There's no time frame to heaven and hell. Jesus is going to pay for every Every sin ever committed against you, every rape, every molestation, every white lie, and every deceitful story, Jesus is going to pay for not only the sins that have been done against you, but the sins of the entire world, your sins, the things that you feel guilty about, the things that you carry shame over, Jesus is going to pay, and it is dark. 
It's awful. There's no winking at God. There's no going, well, God, you'll forgive me. God loves me. He knows my heart. He'll forgive me. Sin is dark, and Jesus is paying for it all. He's carrying it on the cross. He says, my God, my God. And he experiences hell and eternity. Now, what makes this even more profound is that Jesus is God. Jesus is God, and he has been eternally in communion with God the Father. God the Son has been in this eternal community, communion with God the Son. And in that, listen to me, this is big. Because God cannot countenance sin, God turns, God the Father turns from Christ. And Jesus is experiencing the estrangement. Jesus is experiencing the divorce. Jesus is experiencing the great removal from the Father's presence. And friendships that betrayed him, that's painful. And nails going through his hands, you do understand, that's painful. And beatings, pummelings to his face, that too is painful. He says, my God, my God, no one who ever goes to hell will ever say, my God, my God. I remember, um, and we'll turn on the lights now. I remember watching an interview of a man who's since then died. He was an atheist. And he's, he was asked a question, something like, but, you know, when, when you die, if you see God, won't you just be apologetic? Won't you just say? And he goes, no. He was incredulous about it. He said, no. He goes, I would never want to be in a place where God rules. And that is the heart of everyone in hell. Hell is God giving people exactly what they want. It is a divorce from himself. Jesus is the only one who experienced hell and said, my God, my God. These are powerful words because Jesus is trusting the Father even as separation has happened, even as he's experiencing the, this great divorce. Jesus is trusting the Father. I'm going to trust you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know the answer? Because there's an answer to the question that he's asking. Jesus is not like dishonest doubters. I used to be a dishonest doubter. When I, when I didn't, because I, I, did, I wasn't born in a Christian family, I couldn't stand Christians, good night, there's so many reasons not to like them, right? And so I couldn't stand churches, I, had, I wanted nothing to do with Christianity or Jesus or anything like that. I was pretty antagonistic. I was very antagonistic towards Christians. And 
I would ask questions never wanting to hear the answers. You know, well, you know, if, 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 if God is good and God is real, then why is there evil in the world? Hey, sweetie, have you ever stopped to answer that question? Because it's a profound answer. Well, you know, if, if, if God is real, then why doesn't he show himself to me? Hey, think about an answer about that. Think about that. We're satisfied at asking questions and hurling these questions like daggers, never intending to look towards the answer. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus asks the hard questions but waits for the good answers. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There's an answer. Do you know what the answer is? It's so profound, it might go over your head, so I'm going to say it slow. You. The answer to my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, is the person wearing your shirt. It's the person sitting in your seat. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why in the midst of my trouble? Why in the profundity of my pain? Why in the, in the darkest moment of my suffering? Why have you forsaken me? Because of Alice and Maria and John and Susie and James. You know, when I was a kid, they used to have this show. It was, uh, I can't remember, it was these two women who sang folk songs and they had the magic mirror. Does anybody remember the show? Magic Garden. Does anybody remember the Magic Garden? Oh man, when TV was TV, right? Awesome. Does anybody remember at the end of the Magic Garden what they would do? They would look at the little, uh, like the mirror looking thing, you know, and they would say, Romper Room, that's the one. And so, right, so Romper Room. Y'all don't know your children's uh, things, that's the problem here. You gotta work with me, okay? So Romper Room, they would look into their children's thing, and what they would say, I see Joseph and Amanda and Susie. And you, did, were, you, I said, were any of you like me? You always waited to hear your name. <laughs> they never said Edwin, at least not in any show that I saw, right? They had Biff and Titus, but they didn't have Edwin, right? And so it's like, so, but, but, but you wait for your name because there's something special about someone thinking of you even when they're not in the room. So you're not even born, so you're not in the room. And the answer to that question is Michael and Susie and Shannon and John and David and Clarence and Marcus. The answer to the question, and if you're sitting there going, I hope he says my name. <laughs> he has. Because if you're sitting within the sound of my voice, your name has already been uttered on God's lips, saying, this is the answer. And Jesus goes, very The answer to my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, is you, it's me. 
And you and I get to never experience a moment like Christ did. Not in your broken marriages. When it's at its worst, your God won't forsake you. Not in your broken lives. When you've made so many wrong decisions, there's no way out. He won't forsake you. Now understand, I'm speaking to Christians now. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, I don't know what to tell you on this Palm Sunday. Here's what I mean by know Jesus. Like, I know of, I know of President Obama, right? But I don't know him. He doesn't know my name. I don't have an intimate relationship with him. When I say know Jesus, I mean know Jesus like you know a lover. Know Jesus like you follow his direction. Know Jesus like you're not the boss of your life. Jesus is the boss of your life. And if you don't know Jesus, this is a wonderful Palm Sunday. It's a great opportunity to give your life over to him. The answer to my God, my God, why have you forsaken me is your name. And if you're here, he wants you to know that. And he doesn't want you to go on your own and he doesn't want you to be the shock caller in your own life and he doesn't want you to be the commander of your own ship and he doesn't want you to be the leader of your own future. What he wants you to do is experience the joy of relationship and communion with him. And you go, you know what? There's so much pain in this world. There's so much suffering in this world. I can't believe in a God with this much suffering in this world. Listen. After World War II and the atrocities that happened in concentration camps and the deaths that happened in Europe and in everywhere around the world, in World War II, after World War II was done, there was a play that was put on in Germany. And the question that they asked during this play was almost interactive. It's like, who did it? Who, did you do it? Did you do it? Who did it? And so it was this intense sort of um, avant-garde kind of play. Who, di who did it? Did you do it? Did you do it? Who did it? And then they would ask people uh, who are part of the play, and they would say, did you do it? And it's like, no, 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 no. I didn't do it. I was just obeying orders. And then they would say, so you, you did it. And they would say, no, 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 no. I didn't do it. I was just obeying orders. I'm not guilty. I was just obeying orders. And you know, they did that enough and enough and enough. And they got to the point where who's the highest authority? God. And what they did was they had like a sort of a trial. They had this uh, where they condemned God. And they, they, they look at all these atrocities and look at all these horrors and look at all this devastation. And they said, you know what should happen to God? He should have to experience what we experience. You know what this God should do? You know what? He should have to live through the pain of seeing one of his kids die. You know what should happen to God? He should experience all the atrocities that were experienced in World War II. Parents losing their children. People dying. 
being separated from your loved ones. God should experience that. That would be just, because in the end, he is responsible for all of this atrocity. You know, the play was right. But what they didn't know is that they were a little late. God came from heaven to earth to live the life that you should have lived, but you did not, and die the death that you deserve to die, but don't have to. God came from heaven to earth, was born in a stinky, smelly manger, raised in a poor community, took lashes, lived perfectly, and yet took lashes of a criminal and got the punishment of a lawbreaker. God did, in fact, come from heaven to earth. And he did, in fact, but listen, the father did see his son die. And there was a separation from father and son. The reason you can believe in God is because God is not far off. God is close. He's near. The reason that you can believe in God is because there's no pain that you've gone through that God can't identify with. The reason that you can believe in God is because God was not satisfied to send you rules. He sent you himself. And he didn't want to be separated from you, so, he, so he's drawing you to, this, to himself. On this Palm Sunday, Jesus is calling you. Even if you're listening 10 years from when I spoke this message, you're listening on a podcast or in your car or on your computer or on some other device that hasn't been invented yet. Jesus wants you to know that today, today you can know Christ. That the answer to the question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is your name and that you can return the favor by calling on the name of Jesus and asking him. And here's what it is. Listen to me. God is not, God doesn't wear rose-colored glasses. He loves you, but he, he sees you. And so you go, if you're saying to yourself, you're saying, but, 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 but I'm not, but I'm so bad. You don't know how bad I've been. To, to that, I simply say, I don't know, but you know who does? There's one who does. And, and, you're worse than you think. Like you think you're bad, you have no clue. You're far worse than you think. Far worse than you think. And you go, oh man, you're making me feel bad. Yeah, I know, I'm trying to open your eyes. You're not only far worse than you think, but here's the, here's the good news of the gospel. You're far worse than you think, and you're more loved by God than you can imagine. What this means for you is that God sees you're nasty, he sees you're dirty, he sees you're grimy, he sees all of that, and he invites you into a relationship with himself. That is astounding. That is breathtaking. The God who would go on the cross for you is the God who invites you to himself, saying, I was forsaken so you would never have to be. I experienced hell so you would never have to. I experienced separation from the Father so that you would never know separation from the Father. Let me ask you something. Are you too good for that? Are you too good for that? Is that, is, is that just, no, I don't. Man, even if you're here and you go, I don't believe that. 
You don't believe that Jesus takes away your sin. You don't believe that Jesus takes away your shame or your condemnation. Let me ask you this. Don't you wish it were true? It is. It's true. Don't you wish there was someone who could take away your pain? Don't you wish that there was someone who could take away your guilt and all the things you feel ashamed about? The stuff that you won't even share with your spouse? Don't you wish there was someone who could take that away? There is. There is. His name is Jesus. And he wasn't satisfied to send you rules. He came himself. He wasn't satisfied to give you lessons. He gave you his life. Come to Jesus. Now, if you know Jesus and he is your heart and your life, you can know a couple of things. Number one, that your faith is true. It's rooted in history, not in mythology. This really happened. Nobody, if they were making this up, would ever put this sentence in print. Nobody would. The only reason that this sentence is in print is because it actually happened. So if, you're, if you love Jesus, you can, you can rest in the truth of the gospel. 